millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Episode 285 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. Get access to all FreshBooks features when you try it out free for 30 days. Find out more at freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. I think many people think about trust as this sort of fuzzy, feel good. I like this person or this person makes me feel good. But trust is really a pretty hard edged concept that can be measured. It can be analyzed. You can get better at it. Hello there and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Brown, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and your professional growth. And other than actual experience, I can think of no better way to grow personally and professionally than through reading. We tackle the new book each and every week here on the podcast by diving deeper into it through a conversation with the book's author. And the author visiting us today is JetBlue chairman Joel Peterson. He's written the book called The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. I'll be asking Joel to share about how big a problem exactly is a lack of trust in the typical American company. How hard is it to change a culture of mistrust into a culture where most people feel they can trust their colleagues and bosses? How do millennials react to Joel's strong positions on trust? And much, much more. And just before we get to that, I want to recommend a great podcast to you. It's called The Red Podcast, the marketing podcast for experts. It's hosted by my friend David Hooper. We've been friends for several years now. In fact, we were part of the team that helped launch the Nashville Podcasters Group several years ago. He's more involved in it today than I am. But his podcast is all about turning your expert knowledge into income, building your authority, and delivering your message in a way that makes an impact. It's going to help you reach more people and make more money. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. In fact, I recommend you check out his two most recent episodes called The Panic Attack, part one and part two. Very compelling story about his experience with a panic attack while giving a public talk. I learned so much from listening. I think you will too. Again, it's called The Red Podcast. Link in the show notes. You'll find those at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 285 for episode 285. Joel Peterson is the chairman of JetBlue Airways and the founding partner of Peterson Partners, a Salt Lake City based investment management firm. He is also on the faculty at Stanford University and has been since 1992. After three careers, four decades of marriage, and seven kids, in addition to demanding roles as CFO, CEO, chairman, lead director, adjunct professor, founder, author, entrepreneur, and investor, Joel is often sought as a mentor and coach by leaders and aspiring leaders. Now, his his latest book, written with David Kaplan, just re-released in an expanded edition and is called The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. Joel, it's a delight to talk to you and have you here. Thank you so much for being a part of Read to Lead. 
Well, I'm delighted to be with you, Jeff. Well, I love one of the, the very first things you say. I think it's in the introduction of the book. You, you talk about how you lack the paranoia gene. You just kind of grew up trusting everybody. Uh, tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing and background. Oh, I was born in Iowa, grew up in Michigan. My father was a college professor. I was the oldest of five children. And uh, my parents just trusted me. They expected the best out of me. And uh, some of my friends said that uh, when I was 12, I was 40. You know, I had the mindset of a 40-year-old because I just, uh, you know, I, I didn't do crazy things. And I could be trusted. And their parents liked me because uh, they knew if I was with them, they'd not get into trouble. <laughs> So why a book uh, in 2016 about trust and and why an expanded edition now? Well, um, I I think trust is the kind of the most powerful tool to an effective leader. And I think it was under stress in 2016. I think when you looked at the presidential candidates, at least, I read uh, surveys that said they were mistrusted by two-thirds, both of them Mm. were mistrusted by two-thirds of the electorate. And then we see uh, trust levels of, you know, Congress, uh, lawyers, business executives, the press, and everything declining. Mm. So it seemed like it was, uh, in my, my business experience, was trust was a really powerful way to get things done, makes things faster, more flexible, mm. more innovation, etc. So it just felt to me like uh, somebody ought to kind of factor analyze trust and give people a bit of a map for building high trust organizations. The reason it was expanded and republished was because two reasons. One is that HarperCollins bought AMA and they looked through the titles that they had picked up from that and they thought, gosh, this is a pretty good one. Uh, I wonder if we shouldn't re-release it. And then they asked me, uh, what are the questions that people have been asking you Mm. about it? What have been the problems with the first edition? I said, well, there are two. One is everybody asks about betrayal, you know, (laughs) because if you never trust, you'll never be betrayed. Mm. And everybody who's trusted has been betrayed at some level. So talk a little bit more about betrayal. And then the second was, you know, how do I know what the trust level in my team is or in my organization is? You know, people stop talking about it and leaders don't find out what the actual underlying trust level is until it's too late. So how can we measure trust along the way and then do things to improve it? Mm. Well, how, how big a problem is a lack of trust really, in your view, in the typical American company today? I think it's huge. It's not, I don't think you can say it's company-wide, but I think teams, mm. there's conflict within teams. You look at uh, Congress today. I mean, it's entirely dysfunctional. There's such a toxic level of mistrust that things don't get done. So everything gets slowed down. There's increased litigation. There's backbiting. A lot of time is spent on things that are unproductive. I'm not talking about Congress. I'm just talking about any team that's doing something. If you don't have high trust among team members, things slow down and don't work very well. Imagine a football team where there's not a trust between, say, the quarterback and the wide receiver, that they're going to run the right routes. Mm. I mean, that will never work. So people have to get on the same page and really be able to rely on one another. Joel, do you think most middle managers and and, and senior executives are, are aware of the scope of the problem? Well, I think they're all aware that things aren't always working the way they should and that there's conflict and they Mm. spend a lot of time dealing with things that are just not working very smoothly. Uh, So I think at that level, viscerally, they're aware of it. I don't think many have really thought about trust. I think many people think about trust as this sort of 
fuzzy feel good. I like this person or this person makes me feel good. But trust is really a pretty hard edged concept that you can be measured. It can be analyzed. You can get better at it. You can have smart trust or gullibility. I think gullibility is not ever really very helpful. And, and I think being uh, really smart about trust, granting it in increments, measuring things along the way, communicating effectively, all the things that are outlined in the 10 laws of trust mm. allows you to kind of build trust a level, uh, a molecule at a time, a conversation at a time, a level at a time. To answer your question, I think people aren't thinking about it as trust. They're thinking about it as, I wonder why things, I wonder why there's so much conflict, mm. why things aren't working very smoothly. So I think a lot of people are aware of that. I think a lot of people are aware that trust levels have declined in society. Uh, there, there's, uh, I think one of the quotes in the book is by Howard Schultz, who says uh, that he used to be able to tell people 40 years ago that uh, a product did X, Y, or Z, and 90% of the people would believe <laughs> what he said. He said, today it's 10% mm. who believe you. So we've just all become wary, and for good reason. I mean, there's a lot of things in society that have, that have made us uh, concerned, whether it's the Wall Street meltdown or uh, the college admission scandal mm. or the uh, uh, millennials have been told, get a college education and buy a home, and they found that they end up with debts and house mm. prices go down. So right, right. people have become wary. Well, uh, staying with, with companies for a moment, how hard is it to change a culture of mistrust into a culture where most people feel they can entrust their, their colleagues and their bosses? I think it's really hard. It starts with the leader. The leader has to be trustworthy, has to have high integrity mm. and transparency and whatever. And then I think a lot of times there, there are people who are cynical, who just will never buy in. And in many cases, that means you have to change it people out. Uh, but I think the hopeful thing in the 10 laws of trust is there is a bit of a formula. There's a way to be intentional mm. about building a high trust organization. So in this new version, there's this diagnostic tool where you can ask 10 questions that relate to the 10 laws of trust and you can, your organization can anonymously score it and you can come up with a number that says we are a low, medium or high trust organization and then look at those areas where your trust is damaged mm. and go in and address them. So I think it's almost like anything. If you have information and people are talking openly and clearly, you can do something about it, but it isn't easy work. And it does start with the leader. In most cases, what that means is the leader has to make him or herself trustworthy mm. and reliable. Uh, t technology is, is such today that, that we can literally reach anyone. Certainly within our organization, we can do that quickly and easily. Do you think the problem of company silos has been reduced at all because of technology? Yeah, to some degree, uh, people do have access. They have uh, clearly access to information and access to more and more people. But there's also the downside of that, which increases the mistrust. I was uh, on my way to Chicago to give a talk on trust. I was still on the airplane. I hadn't gotten off yet. And I got a phone call. Um, and so I said, well, I'm just sitting here waiting to disembark. I'll just take the phone call. And it was a guy calling from the Social Security Administration who said, there's a warrant out for your arrest. Mm. 
and um, you know we're cutting off your social security account and blah 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 but I need to verify <laughs> you know your name and uh, your address and then when he got to and I need to know your social security number just to verify I thought uh oh this is one of those <laughs> the guy had access to me he had my phone number he knew some things about me and this was clearly a scam so I think while it brings transparency and openness and you know a way to connect with people it also makes us more wary Mm, yeah, certainly does. You know, over the course of producing the Read to Lead podcast these last several years, there have only been a handful of companies I've trusted to bring on as sponsors. In fact, I think I may even be able to count them on one hand. And one of those that's been around the longest is FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software, software I'd been using already in my own business for six or seven years before they came on as a sponsor. Talk about trust. I fully trusted FreshBooks. And after 10 years of using their software, I can confidently say you can too. If you're running a small business, I believe there's no better cloud accounting software solution. And they're making it easy to check it out to see if it is indeed right for you with a free 30-day trial. During the trial, you get to play with all of FreshBooks features, not just some of them, but all of them. Take it for a test drive and see if it makes sense for you and your business. I think you'll find that it will. To do that right now, visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. And I'd love to hear about your experience with FreshBooks, whether it's during the trial or if you're already using their software. Who knows? We might even feature your business here on read to lead. That's freshbooks.com slash read to lead to try it out right now. What would you say, Joel, are some ways that, that a high trust culture actually saves a company money in the long run? Well, I think there are many ways. I think one of them is this idea of, you know, not having to have everything contractually buttoned down, <laughs> not having to have lawyers involved in everything. I mean, if right. you've ever done deals with lawyers involved, it slows <laughs> everything down. Um, I mean, they play a valuable role, and I'm not dissing lawyers. I'm mm. just saying, you know, where there's mistrust, you have to look a lot at remedies and uh, big, thick contracts, mm. and uh, everything slows down that way. Another is their recriminations. When people don't trust each other, mm. they spend time in recrimination and blame and assigning responsibility for things that didn't go right. Another is that they don't innovate as much. You know, innovation is this messy process where you really try things out that don't work. And so the process of innovation means getting things out prematurely, going to market, getting feedback, and changing and refining. Well, if there's low trust and recrimination, people innovate much more cautiously and more slowly. One of the reasons that these little tiny companies are so much better at innovation than the bigger ones where there are more politics. So I think it, it saves time, it saves money, and it's a much happier way to go about life. Mm. One of your laws talks about uh, correcting trust breaches immediately. Should leaders drop their other priorities when there's a breach of trust? Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Say a little bit more about it, because really what happens is the typical breach of trust is something where somebody disappoints you. And it may be because there was poor information or there may be a, have been an intervening variable that um, came in and kept them from delivering. Because trust either is built or destroyed relative to uh, delivery, the delivery on promises. So if people deliver on promises, they build trust. If they fail to deliver on promises, trust is destroyed. So having an open way of dialoguing about this thing allows you to fix minor breaches of trust that may come from 
lack of understanding or an intervening variable or something that you can address. Usually what happens if people don't, it gets worse. The gap grows bigger until finally something breaks. Mm. People explode, they leave, they don't get promotions, whatever happens. But now that's one kind of breach of trust. There's another kind where people really uh, do something that is intentionally bad, mm. intentionally violate someone's trust. And that's a, that's a different approach. But most breaches of trust are these ones that are just something happened. There was misunderstanding. And I think it is the job of the manager, of the leader, to address those things in real time. Mm. Well, I uh, serve as an adjunct at a local university, and I'm, I'm curious about your gig at, uh, at Stanford, how do millennials in particular react to your strong positions on trust, Joel? You know, I think more than anything, they're relieved. <laughs> some, I had somebody say that Joel is an old school guy. And I think mm. old school means a bunch of things that I see as, as positive. Now, mm. they may be saying something else, too. I don't know. <laughs> but, but I think that's what they mean. I think they're relieved. I think they've become wary. They've grown up in an era where they have to be cautious. Often millennials don't commit. They don't commit to jobs. They don't commit to religions. They, they get uh, married a lot later. They, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that they just are not joiners. They don't commit. And so they're a little bit wary in how they go about life. And I think they're relieved to know that there are people who, who have this notion of trust. I think many of them really kind of long for that. They just don't know whether or not it's possible. And we talked a moment ago, Joel, about betrayal and, and even intentional betrayal instances. Uh, what's your uh, most important advice for somebody who's been intentionally betrayed by, by, by a trusted colleague or boss? How, how should they respond? I think you have to get out of the relationship, but that's almost not enough. Mm. I mean, usually what happens when people are betrayed that way is they have a hard time leaving it alone. Mm. You know, I I give the example of uh, Cortez burning the ships at Veracruz so people couldn't get back on them. In a sense, you almost have to burn that ship and move on, and you haven't. Until you're thinking forward and living life forward, if you keep revisiting the betrayal, it's like getting back on that burning ship. And I think it's one of the hardest things in life to do, but I think you do have to basically forgive mm. and move on. It's a very hard thing to do, but I think uh, you have to get out of business with those people. They will con- it's such a toxic thing. It will constantly drain you. So I think that kind of a betrayal you have to get away from. And that may mean changing jobs in a marriage. It can mean, you know, d- divorce. I think there are some cases where there are where the stakes are so high that you really do work a lot. If, there, if it's a, a marriage and there are children, I think you really work hard to fix even those kinds of betrayals because there's so much at stake. But in a lot of situations, there's not as much at stake, and you're better off forgiving and moving on just as soon as you possibly can. Hmm. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I got a, a couple of questions I want to ask you, not directly related to the book in the few minutes we have left. But before I do that, Joel, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know or walk away with? You know, that its main thesis is that high trust organizations outperform low trust organizations over time. Hmm. High trust leaders outperform low trust leaders over time and that there's something we can do about it. We can actually own the trust levels in our organization. I think that's a positive and hopeful thing, and I would hope that people will embrace that and say, let's start working on that. We'll heal a lot of things if we can do that. (laughs) For sure. 
Well, if you would think about, Joel, and I'm sure they, they are many, the books that you've read over the years, what would you say are the, the two or three that pop up as titles that had a big impact on you? And share, if you would, how or why they impacted you as they did. So there was a uh, birthday party we had a while back. My own kids uh, asked the grandkids, what's grandpa's favorite book? And they all knew. <laughs> and so I guess uh, this must be some, a question that uh, I've asked before. But uh, the book that I really loved uh, that my grandkids knew about is one called A Short History of Nearly Everything mm. by Bill Bryson. Uh, Bryson is a wonderful writer, and it's just a, kind of a fantastic tour through how do we know what we know. And it's a bunch of anecdotes and stories about the people who've discovered what we know about how our world is and works. I'm now reading a bunch of books on, you'll be surprised, but <laughs> I got into kind of a jag on uh, history. And I, I started out re with reading the Chernoff book on um, Alexander Hamilton. Mm. And I went from that to Jefferson, to John Adams, then mm. to Truman, uh, to Ulysses S. Grant. And then a little while ago, I, was, uh, I had to interview Condi Rice for an hour on stage in front of about 300 people. So I read all three of her best-selling books. And I'm now in the midst of this book, Churchill, A Walk with Destiny by Anthony mm -hmm. Roberts. And you can kind of tell that there's a theme <laughs> there in sort of understanding how the world is and works and who are the characters that we can study. And part of that is a desire to find mentors. In life. You know, everybody's mm -hmm. interested in having a mentor, but we can't always have flesh and blood mentors. Right. But there are a lot of them that are available to us in history. Many, many lessons that we can learn as would-be leaders by studying studying these You're preaching to the choir now. I, I, I love presidential biographies. Uh, yeah. Much like you, uh, several years ago, I went on a kick where I read several back-to-back, -back and uh, I, I have a whole, I'm looking over here to my right, I have a whole stack of them on my bookshelf. Uh, so definitely uh, speaking my language for sure. Well, you, you mentioned uh, your recent talk in Chicago. I know uh, public speaking is something you obviously do on a regular basis. I'd be curious to know, Joel, uh, your tips for delivering a talk that's going to truly land with your audience, impact them, and be memorable to them. I should be asking you that question. I, I need to get better <laughs> at it. But I, I do, uh, to me, audiences only will remember, and I'm saying this as a member of audiences, you only remember a couple of things. Mm. I think it's really important to have a few takeaway points that you want to make. I think it's important to be reading the audience and be flexible. I like to have speeches be two-way. In other words, I like to have interaction mm. with the audience as much as possible. So I'll, every once in a while, I'll cold call or just get audience participation. Now, this may be from my experience as a teacher, but I find in teaching, I have a rule that says, have every student make a noise within the first three sessions of class. <laughs> and if they do, they're engaged forever. They've, they've got a... <laughs> They've got skin in the game, and mm. if they don't, they can drop out pretty easy. So I try to look for audience engagement. Mm. And I think stories, watching them and interacting with them makes that uh, much more likely. Uh, you, you, you put my mind at ease. I, I recall uh, just a couple of weeks ago with my new class, having everybody go around the room and tell a little bit about themselves and their dreams and where they're from and things of that nature. So everybody got involved. So hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, I did, I did something right. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I asked this uh, one of these groups I was talking to, how many of you have been betrayed? Mm. How did it feel? Mm. You know, and even just an open-ended question like that, and, and often where there's emotion, where, where it's colored, 
word. You mm-hmm. know, there's something in it where they, they're feeling something. They're much more engaged than if it's just an intellectual exercise. So I, I think questions and getting people to talk, you know, you want to have them be participants in whatever it is you're doing. So I think you and I are on the same wavelength. <laughs> awesome. Well, finally, what's, what's next for you, Joel? What's uh, coming up that you're working on and excited about? Well, I'm actually working on another book uh, that will come out uh, by HarperCollins next spring. Uh, I had started calling it Running Stuff. I really, I love that title, and most of my friends really liked it. But when HarperCollins went out and did market testing on it, they said it attracts joggers. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're calling it entrepreneurial leadership. And the notion of that is not entrepreneurship, because many entrepreneurs just light fires and that's all. Entrepreneurial mm. leadership really taps into all of the things that a leader needs to be to be transformed from being a presider or a manager or an administrator or an entrepreneur into being sort of I don't, do you know this term, uh, the five-tool player in baseball? Mm, no, no, I don't. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They say, they say Willie Mays was maybe the ultimate five-tool player. He could run, field, throw, hit for power, and hit for average. Mm. Those are the five tools. So there's, most players are good with a couple of the tools, and most <laughs> leaders are good with either being managers or entrepreneurs or whatever. The, the entrepreneurial leader, however, is good with all five tools. And so it's really to try to kind of capture, you know, what is it? So I give people a bit of a formula for... How do you go about becoming one of these? So it's a bit of a, again, a checklist, cookbook, series of stories where people can develop this five-tool ability to be an effective leader. Love it. Well, Joel Peterson is the chairman of JetBlue Airways, and the book re-released is called The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. This was a lot of fun. Joel, again, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I know you've probably got a very busy schedule, and I am so thrilled that you chose to spend a few minutes with me today. My pleasure, Jeff. Anytime. For a summary of our conversation, including the links and resources Joel and I mentioned, simply go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash 285 for episode 285. Please do remember our sponsor, FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software and their free 30-day trial available to you right now. FreshBooks.com slash readtolead and enter readtolead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And be sure and check out the Red Podcast hosted by my friend David Hooper. A link to that podcast is also listed in the show notes. For questions, comments, or feedback on Read to Lead, you can write me directly. It's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. I'm so glad you decided to spend a few minutes with me today, and I look forward forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.